You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Okay, some of y'all are good. Some of y'all are getting there. It's okay. It's early. Um, it's, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Alec Jacks. I'm one of the pastors here at The Creek, and uh, I just want to say I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are actually going to be back in Luke, uh, which is awesome from, from now until the next eternity, really. And so um, we'll, we'll be in Luke for a while, but uh, it's, it's going to be great. And so um, this morning, I, I kind of want to start with just this, this thought. There are times um, in your life when, for whatever reason, um, even though the extraordinary might be happening around you, uh, you, you kind of view it as ordinary. Here, here's an example for me. Um, when I was a 10-year-old boy, uh, I, I lived pretty much an ordinary life, and my parents got divorced, and um, nothing really changed, uh, just to be honest. I mean, it was, it was tragic, and um, it was rough, but it, you know, I kind of just continued to live an ordinary life, lived with my mom, um, went to school every day, you know, just, just normal, ordinary kid things. Um, I don't know how this started culturally, but got new clothes every spring and every fall, um, got haircuts when I needed them, um, basically did what every other kid did. I, I was in Boy Scouts. Um, I played every sport I possibly could in middle school. Um, I smelled like a middle school boy. I mean, just, just ordinary, right? And, and here's the reality, though, is during that season, um, what you don't know about the story is that my mom was now a single mother um, with two kids uh, on a pastor's salary. And I don't know what you know about ministry, but you don't go into ministry for the yacht, Right? Um, if you do, like, let's talk, but, um, we were in an extraordinary circumstance in that, honestly, it it was extraordinary that my mom was able to make rent every week. It, It was a hard season, but for me, totally ordinary, too young to know any different, just kind of coasted along. Um, the reality is, um, my mom was struggling, and, and she kind of hid that from, from all of us, which is, which is cool, because like she would turn it into a game, right? So if we had to move, it wasn't we need to move. It was, um, we're going on a new adventure. And, and if it was, um, like my mom had this giant jug of change in the middle of the uh, laundry room. And uh, I mean, like, just being, just being real with you guys, when you get down to your last couple dollars, I mean, you know, you got to get some quarters out to go, uh, to go buy milk and stuff. And, and my mom would make it into a game and she'd be like, whoever finds the most quarters gets to keep a quarter. <laughs> and, and like at 12, you know, that's awesome. A quarter, woo. And, um, you know, she kind of hid these things from us and, and just in an extraordinary way loved us. Um, and then God just kind of provided in, in miraculous ways. Um, Boy Scout uniforms just showed up at our door one day. We don't know who did that. Still, like to this day, just, just a blessing. Um, someone, who, who we still don't know, paid for me to go on mission trips three years in a row. N- no clue who. Like God just provided in extraordinary ways. Um, but for me, 
just totally ordinary, just, just living my life as a 12-year-old boy. And, and here's the thing, I was too young to see it. Today, we're gonna look at a miracle. And, and it's a little, I'll just, I'll just tell you, it's the feeding of the 5,000. And the feeding of the 5,000 is, is a cool miracle, but, but if you think about it, I mean, I mean, honestly, it's not, I mean, compared to some other miracles, maybe it's not that cool. It, it's, it's, it's lunch, right? I mean, it, which is awesome. I love lunch. I love free lunch, especially, but, um, but it's, it's not as, as big of a deal, right? And so this morning, um, what I really want us to see in this miracle it is the character of God, and I want it to spur us on in action and mimicking the character of God. And so um, this morning, I, I can't do that with a great sermon, um, but the Lord can transform our hearts through his word. So let's pray and ask that he would do that really quickly. Um, Lord, thank you so much for speaking clearly through your word to us this morning. We just ask that um, wherever we are today, God, that you would um, speak to us, um, give us a word, God, give us um, purpose and meaning and, and, and a chance to be obedient to what you're calling us into. God, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Luke 9. We'll be in Luke 9 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them, this is Jesus, and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So just, just real quick, this is for free. This is not really a part of the sermon, but I think it uh, bears some weight on where we are in our Christian walk. I just want to point out two quick habits that we see Jesus implementing here and again throughout the rest of his ministry. The first is on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And so what we see here is that Jesus um, was very intentional about rest and about community. And, and some of you guys need to hear that this morning, because um, if we don't incorporate intentional rest and intentional community into our lives, um, we are not going to have the depth of spiritual life that you're seeking. Because Jesus modeled this for us. The second thing that I, that I think we see that Jesus is doing here is simply this. Um, it says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. He welcomed them. And, and so here's, here's what I see Jesus doing. Man, he went on vacation, right? He started to step away from the ministry and, and all of a sudden he's getting phone calls, he's getting emails, man, stuff's falling apart back home and the crowd is waiting for him and he welcomes them in. And I'll just be straight up, like honest, gut level honest, if, if I'm on vacation and I get like <laughs> 13 missed calls from somebody with a ministry emergency, my thought is not to go, oh, blessings, yes, bring it on. But no, I'm, I'm going, I'm on vacation, man. What do you need? Like, call joy, call somebody. And I'm just being honest. And, and that's not what Jesus does. He welcomes in times when he maybe didn't want to. And so I think that bears some weight on our, our lives and on our walk. But let's, let's keep going. That's not the sermon. <laughs> Verse 12. 
Uh, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Um, just, just to clarify real quick, um, when it says 5,000 men, the book of Matthew tells us, and, and you may know this already, but I'm just letting you know, um, Matthew tells us that it didn't include women and children in that count. So more than likely, um, there were about 10 to 18,000 people in this crowd. That's a pretty big crowd, um, especially to preach to without a microphone. So, um, but here's, here's what happens. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, and they did so and had them all sit down. And just before you like theologize the number 50 and do the weird thing where you're like, well, there's a blood moon and 50 stars in the sky. So that's not what's going, there's nothing going on here. Just breaking people into groups of 50 because it's easier to feed 18,000 people if there's a line. Fair? So um, really simple. He's just breaking people into groups um, to help feed them. And then in verse 16, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they were all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So this is, that's the conclusion. (laughs) This is kind of a strange story. In the middle of the Bible, right? Um, it's strange for a couple of reasons. It's strange because there's not like a cute little wrap up. Like there's not, um, when you look at other stories that Jesus tells or, or miracles that Jesus does, like often Jesus will come along and go, hey, this is what this means. Um, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, um, right before he goes in and calls him out of the grave, which is pretty cool, um, he, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes in and calls Jesus back, or calls Lazarus back from the dead. And so what we see happening there is, is kind of, you know, Jesus is Lord over all, and that all includes death. Pretty easy to draw some conclusions there. Um, If Jesus tells a parable, he may not explain it publicly, but usually he'll get together with his disciples after and go, hey, I I know you guys didn't get that, like at all, but here's what it meant. And so if you look at the parable of the sower, um, you know, a man, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And then um, in that parable, he kind of describes four different kinds of soil, rocky soil, good soil, and um, and Jesus kind of leaves it. But then when he comes back with his disciples, he goes, hey guys, here's what that meant. The seed is, is the word of God. And then he walks through the different kinds of soil and, and explains it. We don't get that here. We don't have that in the Bible. It's kind of strange. And then it's also strange because just truthfully, it's not a super cool miracle. <laughs> like the rest of the miracles. I mean, Jesus coming back from the dead, raising a guy to life, giving sight to the blind. Like this is just kind of an ordinary miracle. But all four gospel writers included only, like this miracle 
It is the only miracle outside of the resurrection included in all four Gospels. And so this is an important miracle. And and here's the first danger. And if you're taking notes and following along, here's where you'll see this. When God performs a miracle, we can miss the miraculous. We can miss the miraculous. And I want to just give you three ways that I think we do that today and that we see in this passage. The first is simply this, that we make the miracle all about ourselves. Here's here's a great way to understand that. Um, Yearbook theology. How many of you went went and got a yearbook in high school? So, okay, so, yeah. So what is, when you open up your yearbook, the very first thing you do? Yeah, so you're flipping through, and you're like, man, I look good in this sports photo. And, oh, yeah, there was that cool event that we went to. And and, and then there's my individual photo, and you look through that thing for you, baby. And, And here's what we do with the Bible. The exact same thing. We open up the Bible, we make it about ourselves, and we go, well, where, where am I in the Bible? And, and let me just help you, like, really quickly. The Bible's not about you. The, the Bible is about God. And so um, here's the problem with that. When we make this miracle all about ourselves, we miss the fact that it's miraculous, and we turn to God and go, where's my miracle? As though we're owed something. And so God doesn't owe us anything, but we'll miss the fact that God is performing a miracle if we make the miracle about ourselves. The second way that I think we do this is that we make miracles ordinary. In a sense, if you grew up in church, man, you, you know this story, right? You've heard this story. It's just, it's just the feeding of the 5,000. And, and ultimately, we even do this with the gifts that God has given us. So, so we'll just look at um, our automobiles that work <laughs> and our houses above our heads and our Wi-Fi that works most of the time and our semi-stable families, right? And our meal every four hours and go, man, that's ordinary. Uh, only the vast echo of human history would say that's not ordinary. That is beyond ordinary. That is a gift, And so for us to look at the things that God has given us and go, ordinary, is to miss the miraculous gift that God has given you. Whether it's your breath, the fact that you woke up this morning, or or the fact that, let's be real, your family made it on time to church. Miraculous, right? (laughs) You joke, you joke, but it's real. Um, and, And so... We miss the miraculous. The third way we miss the miraculous is simply um, that we compare our gifts, that we compare the miracle that God has given us in our lives or in the Bible. And it would have been, would have been really easy at this lunch to do that, right? Like, like if you're at this lunch, maybe, maybe you're going, Jesus, <laughs> you gave that guy new legs, <laughs> You gave that guy a resurrected daughter, and you gave me the equivalent of free Long John Silvers. Like, this ain't even a gift. I don't even know. And like, and we do this, and here's what happens in the church body. We look at each other's families and spiritual gifts and houses, and we covet and compare those things to what God has given us. And in doing so, we miss what God has given us. We miss the miraculous. 
And, and, and here's what you're really missing. It's not just a miracle. You're missing what God is doing in your life when you do that. You're missing it. And so we, we can miss the miraculous. But, but here's what's cool is that when God performs this miracle, if we look at what God is doing here, God is revealing himself in Jesus Christ as supernatural. He's revealing himself as supernatural. And so this is, I don't know if you're a Stranger Things fan, but this is the moment. I saw some claps. That was cool. Uh, just one though, but um, it's fine. Uh, this is the moment when when the mom takes the Christmas lights and is like communicating with her possibly dead son. It's beyond us. It is supernatural beyond our ability to produce, manage, or create of our own ability. And here's the miracle that God sent his son Jesus to, to preach the word of God and sustain these people through lunch. And, and so as he's doing that, yeah, there's a practical reason. It's, it's that he would be able to continue preaching without people needing to leave to go get lunch. But, but when we look at this miracle and just try to jump to life transformation, we don't look at the miracle itself. When we just jump to how can this help me? Or, or better yet, how can this make me a person of charitable kindness? How can this make me better? Here's the problem with that. Our culture is already obsessed with that. They don't, they don't need something new. They've, they've got self-help books. They've got in the wild west of the internet, to quote my friend Joseph Neville, um, they've got self-proclaimed life coaches who have neither life nor coaching ability, right? And, and so we've got, and if you're a life coach, man, that is awesome. Keep doing what you do, seriously. But um, just want to clarify, but, but here's the thing. It, you can get on the internet and just proclaim yourself as whatever you want to be, y'all. And, and so our culture is obsessed with moving forward, growing, becoming better. Um, how awesome does it sound for me to be able to say, I worked with Samaritan's Purse this summer, or, or I worked with Habitat for Humanity this summer. Doesn't that just feel good? Like, it's not true, but doesn't it? I mean, just even saying it, I'm like, yeah. Like, oh man, our culture is already obsessed with life transformation and becoming people marked by charitable kindness. What's different? There's got to be something different about the Christian life. And, and here, here it is. Um, it's the, the transformed Christian life um, and, and our charitable kindness in this room is both powered by and moved forward by, pushed by the goodness and glory of God. But it's also our hope in, in doing so is the goodness and glory of God. So it's both a pushing and a pulling effect as we try to embrace charitable goodness. Like it is not so that we can be better people. Can we just all admit that? It's so that we can bring glory to the one who gave us life. That's why we seek a transformed life. And that's why we seek to be people of charitable kindness, that we might bring glory to God and remind people of his goodness. And here's what that means. It means, yes, we need to be people who have our lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we need to be people who live out lives of charitable kindness. But we also, in doing those things, have to point to our reason for doing so. It means you have to open your mouth means you have to be willing to share. Because our culture already knows 
what it looks like to become a better person. What they don't know is the power behind becoming a better person. The power behind being radically transformed into a disciple who's slowly being sanctified into the image of Jesus. They don't get that. And so we've got to be willing to talk about how and why God is doing that. Um, and here's what that means. Um, as we look at this miracle, it is, it is used to turn people's hearts back towards gratitude. And for your life, if you've been given something, whether it's a supernatural healing or you made it to church on time this morning, God wants you to turn that back into worship. He wants you to take that thing and go, thank you, God. You are so good. Now let it change my life as I, as I continue to seek you in worship. And then here's, here's something else we see out of this um, passage. There's a lot of words, so if you're writing, just, just get ready. When God performs a miracle, God can use anyone and anything at any time to accomplish everything. When God performs a miracle, God can use anyone and anything at any time to accomplish Everything And so God in this story um, is accomplishing all through just a little bit, right? And, and what we see is the disciples come to God and they offer up what they've got. And they say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. What they're saying is we don't have enough. And what they're implying, because they've been with Jesus for three years, right, is you aren't enough. And, and the unredeemed, I mean, the, the person who is outside of Jesus Christ, the call of their heart is, God, you are not enough. Adam and Eve in the garden, um, as they sought their own autonomy and a life of provision and wisdom outside of the wisdom and protection of God, were essentially turning to the Lord and saying, God, what you have for me is not enough. It's not enough. And the disciples do that in this case. When they go, God, what you have for us, what we have here, it's not enough. But the message of this passage is that God can take your little and make it into an abundance. And don't hear, please don't hear me talking about your finances. Uh, I'm talking about God can take your little bit of obedience, faith, kindness, self-control, gentleness, uh, joy, and turn it into an abundance that reaches the nations. Matthew 13 says it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Um, theologians, when talking about the birds in that story, have, have decided that those birds are actually the nations coming to rest in the branches of the kingdom of heaven so that even the nations appear small and minuscule in comparison to the glory of God. That's awesome. Because here's what that means. Where you have just a little, God can make it into a lot. God can take your little and make it into abundance. And let me just say this. It's not about your little in the miracle. It's about God's overflowing abundance. 
And so as we think about that, uh, even in this room, a lot of us just live under this lie from the enemy that we are not enough, that God is not enough, that he can't possibly help you out of your situation, that he can't possibly um, use the gifts, intelligence, character, abilities that you have to do anything of use in the world. And this passage yells in the face of that, God is enough. And his abundance is overflowing into your little. And I know some of you guys have been holding on to something. You got just a little bit of time and a little bit of faith and a little bit of obedience, and you're not good at this Christianity thing. And you're going, I've been waiting on this thing to become the tree. I'm, I'm waiting on this to become something that God uses. And this is God responding and going, give it time. It's going to become a tree in which the nations will rest in the kingdom of God. And that's a really cool truth. And so um, what we see here is God taking um, this kingdom, this smallness, this littleness, and, and using it um, to reveal something about the kingdom of God. And here's, here's what I want you to see. When God performs a miracle, he reveals his character. He reveals his character. And so um, as we look at this passage, like we talked about, there's not really um, a tidy wrap-up to this passage. I mean, it, it literally ends with, and they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. There, there's nothing else to indicate the direction we should take this passage or, or, or anything like that, except in John 6, the day after this feeding, he's with his disciples again. He's gathered them around, and he says this, Jesus said to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so Jesus is now using the miracle to paint a picture of the reality that's occurring. And the reality is this, that Jesus Christ is our sustenance. He is our food. He is our water. He holds our hearts in his hand and our lives together. And, and, and in fact, it goes so much further beyond that in, in the Bible. In Hebrews 1.3, it says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so right now, Today, Jesus Christ is sustaining the universe by the word of his power. It's an amber alert. It'll be okay. Um, and, and so he's holding the universe together by the word of his power, and he's holding our lives together by the power of his love. And so here's, here's the thing about that. That sounds really good, but, but what does it actually look like to be sustained by Jesus. Nine years ago, um, I was on staff at a very different church, very different church. And um, we, we had a worship leader, and, and her name was Nikki. And, and Nikki was an incredible talent. I mean, sang opera when she wasn't at the church, just, just crazy, like mind-blowingly talented, um, sweet family, 
um, but had, had some trouble with infertility for, for a long time. And then one day she got pregnant. And, um, and everyone was so excited, just, just a celebration, honestly. Um, and then at about seven months, um, she went in for just a normal appointment. And they couldn't find the heartbeat. And um, the baby was lost. And, and let me just pause here and say, if you're going through that right now, like if, if you struggle with infertility or, or something like this, uh, please let us walk with you. Like, please don't do this alone. We want to walk with you in this and be there for you and love you through whatever season you walk through. So please don't do this alone. But here's, here's what happened. A, a week later, um, Nikki got up at her child's funeral and she sang this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How on earth do you do that? How do you do that? The only sustenance that we have in a storm like that is Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. And listen, you may run after a thousand substitutes to that sustenance. People do. But the only firm foundation on that day when the horrors and tragedy of this life happen, and and they will, is Jesus Christ. He's it. He's our hope. Hebrews describes him as our anchor. So he is there with us. Look at me. Upholding the universe by the word of his power and upholding our hearts by the power of his love. He's in it with us. He empathizes with you as our great high priest, and he is with you. He he has made his home. The Holy Spirit has made his home inside of your heart. A sweet truth to remember. But here's the really cool thing about this story. It doesn't end here. Because if Jesus is our sustenance, there's a bigger picture going on here. And and I just want to paint for you the, the, like, Bigger story happening here. God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, to his people to sustain them. And in this picture, we see him both preaching the word and sustaining them through literally physical lunch. And so he gets bread to them, right? And, and here's the question for us. Who does he use to make the miracle happen? Let me show you. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Here's the picture Jesus is painting. He now has this bread of life, this sustenance. God the Father has sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, with sustenance. And Jesus now sends the disciples to deliver it. 
So here's the picture. This is the exact same picture that we get in the book of Acts, that God has sent the Son, and likewise, the Son has now sent the church. And so here's what you need to see about this miracle. The miracle doesn't end in lunch. The miracle ends in mission, that we have now been sent. Just as Jesus was sent from the Father with sustenance, we have now been sent with the word of God, with the hope and sustenance that we have in Jesus Christ on a mission to to share the joy and goodness and glory of God with the whole earth until he returns. We've been sent. And so that's the point of the mission. Man, we've been on mission. God is moving us from receiving sustenance to giving sustenance. That's a really cool thing. But here's what that might mean. And I don't mean this in a heretical way. You may be the answer to the prayer you've been praying for someone else. You may see a ministry here and be like, man, they're just shorthanded. <laughs> Lord, would you please send someone to work in the student ministry? And God is going to turn to you and say, I just did. <laughs> and you better figure out how to work Snapchat. And so like, you're going, but you've been sent. You've been sent. Maybe um, you've got uh, a neighbor. Like anybody got a neighbor who just lets their grass grow way too long and it stresses you? Are you not OCD like me? That's cool. But, but man, when I drive by and like all of my neighbors are like perfectly manicured and then there's the one house that's like just forestation is happening and you're like, oh my gosh. And maybe, maybe you're driving in your car and like that stresses you out. So you're like, Lord, let's go Old Testament on those trees, God. Strike them down, you know, bring fire like the prophets of Baal. Let's go. And, and maybe, maybe that's your prayer. And, and the Lord is turning to you and going, hey, you better go make a glass of lemonade and grab your lawnmower because I'm sending you. Because I'm sending, and you're going to have to go mow your neighbor's lawn now. Like, right, even some of y'all, like right now, you're thinking about that neighbor. God's sending. Y'all just go, y'all. And so just go. But, but here's the question that this leads us into. What needs are in front of you? And what resources has God given you to meet those needs? Really simple. What needs are in front of you? And what resources has God given you to meet those needs? And before you go, before you go, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. God, you are not enough. I think God's going to say to us, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So I want to give you three, three just things to think about this week. The first is... How are you turning the things that God has given you back into worship? Where God, where God has blessed you with the extraordinary, have you called what God has given you ordinary? Because it's, it's really time to just recognize what God has given us and, and let that 
not end on itself, but turn our hearts back towards him as we go, God, you didn't have to do this for me, but you are a good father. Second thing, ask that question. And I mean, I mean, really ask it. What are the needs in front of me? And what resources has God given me to meet those needs? Here's why. We've got to be people who take notice of the world around us and the people around us because Jesus did that for us, right? And then here's the third thing, that we would share the sustenance we found. God has not given you your stuff, your relationship with him, your family, your time, that you might become a hoarder but that you might for a moment hold those things and then use them to bless someone. That we might, in knowing the truth about Jesus Christ, then share that sustaining hope that we have in in your office, in your school, in your family, and wherever we would go, that we would be people who share the sustenance that God has given us. So let me pray right now that God would make us into those sort of people. God, this morning, um, I just gotta ask you, Lord, that you would make the creek um, not a people of selfishness and not a people so focused on ourself that that when we read the Bible, we only see us. (laughs) But God, that you would move us to become a people of compassion and a people of just radical generosity. And and when our hearts, um, in even hearing that, go, God, but we don't have enough to give. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough um, resources. Whatever that looks like, God, would you just gently correct us and say, "But, but I'm enough. Because God, you are enough. Your salvation is enough. Your healing is enough. Your power is enough. Your grace is enough. Just keep that anthem on our hearts, God, that you are enough despite any situation that might come into our lives. You're bigger than those situations, and God, you'll love us through them. And God, give us boldness. Give us boldness to share the sustenance that we have in you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at